Hey, everybody, it's Drags once again, episode 12 of Jungle Roar, since a football podcast is upon us. And this week, I welcome one of the very best Bengal writers on the beat, a colleague and an all around great guy in Jay Morrison of The Athletic. He's been covering the Bengals beat since 2012 and Cincinnati area sports for over a quarter of a century, 28 years. How you doing, Jay? I'm doing well, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is going to be a fun podcast. I, I just feel it in my bones. <laughs> um, I think I really, really like this Bengals defense, Jay. Uh, but this week, uh, you know, they face their stiffest test of the year by far. They have Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs also at PBS in December. But this one against Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers figures to sternly test a defense that has had, Jay, mostly good moments uh, throughout the first four weeks. Yeah, they really have. I mean, so much of what it's been in the past is winning in spite of the defense, and, and now it feels like they're winning because of this defense. I mean, that goal line stand against Jacksonville, if that doesn't happen, they don't win that game. No if they question. go down 21 nothing. There's, there's just no way. Um, they The fumble they force against Minnesota, if they don't do that, they don't win that game. Um, and then they they really kind of kept them in the game against Chicago. I mean, four straight possessions with turnovers, three straight passes for Burrow. Um, they it was they just bowed up and only gave up a field goal out of that. Uh, they it's really it's not surprising because we saw it in in training camp and in OTAs that it was like, hey, this looks a little bit different. But you always wonder, you know, you're going against teammates, you're going against air sometimes. You wondered what it was going to look like when it when it got real. Right. Um, and it's it's been as impressive as we thought it would be. Well, I think it starts with the defensive front. And mm-hmm. look, we had the opportunity to speak with uh, DJ Reader on Monday. And I love listening to DJ Reader. Yeah. I could listen to him talk literally all day long. He has just got a great personality. You can tell uh, from the moment he signed before the 2020 season as a free agent uh, with the Bengals, he has the right attitude, the right temperament. I think he's a terrific leader on that defense and that defensive front. Uh, but for him to choose the Bengals over the Denver Broncos, to me, spoke uh, volumes as to how impressive he really feels Cincinnati can be. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, a part of it was Cincinnati, part of it was Zach, a big part of it, and he talked about this, was Joe Burrow. Even though they had not drafted him yet, the, the writing they, was on the wall. Knew, that right. Yeah, everybody knew that they were going to take him. Um, and he said that's what his agent asked him. You know, who are you going to bet on, Joe Burrow or Drew Locke? I think everybody would take the Joe Burrow bet there. But he he has been since he got here. He's been that guy. And and you know, Paul Daner and I talked about this on on our podcast this morning. That Zach talked about how it's a defense full of guys that that are just committed and they love football and they love talking about football. And we see that when when these guys come in to do press conferences, they don't want to be there. They'd rather be doing almost anything but talking to the media. But then they start talking football and they open up and your eyes see, light up. Literally. Yes, they they really do enjoy it. And Paul brought up a great point. There's been so many years where the only way you get these guys talking like that is to talk about anything but football. Ask them about their favorite TV show. Ask them about their college team, their family. Um, that's what really drives them. And this this is a group of guys, not that they're one-dimensional. They have all those outside interests as well, but they really do love football and love talking about it. And I, I think... I think you're seeing that pay off on the field. 
I don't think there's any question about that. And, you know, what I want to get to is the fundamental of the X's and O's and why DJ Reader and Larry Ogunjobi complement one another so well. And it was interesting to me, you, you speak of uh, DJ Reader talking football. Reader um, mentioned the fact that uh, Ogunjobi is real. It was, it's fun to see him playing the technique, the three technique on the mm-hmm. defensive line that really is his specialty. Yeah, I mean, he's just been wrecking people. And mm-hmm. you, you don't think of a guy that big being explosive, but he is. He just he gets off the ball so fast. He moves laterally really well when he needs to. Um, he can he can move down the line of scrimmage and chase down a guy. It's it's made a huge difference. It um, earlier before the season started, we always do this kind of a war stat. You know, it's like baseball wins against replacement, and we had DJ Reader as number two on that list. Or I'm sorry, we had Larry Ogunjobi as number two number on two. that list because he is so good and we thought they were going to be so thin at defensive tackle, but I mean, Josh Tupo has arrived. They make the trade for BJ Hill. It's just, you said it, it, everything starts with that defensive line and, and Larry Ogunjobi played some three technique in Cleveland, but they also put him straight over the nose. And he was really excited when he got here, knowing he was going to get the chance to, to play nothing but three technique. And, you know, we've, we haven't seen the, the sacks like we've seen, from Geno Atkins in years past, but he is wrecking game plans nonetheless. I mean, he's just blowing up the run game, destroying anybody they try to put in front of him to block him. It's it's really entertaining to watch. I know a lot of people just watch the ball, just watch Joe Burrow, the opposing quarterback, but do yourself a favor and just for a play or two, just just watch what those guys are doing on the interior of the D-line. It's, it's pretty impressive. Okay, I'm going to just ask it straight out. How do you compare Ogunjobi to Geno? You know, it's it's tough. I, I Gino had that knack for getting to the quarterback and getting the sacks, and we we don't really we haven't seen that from Larry yet. And and Larry's older than than what Gino was in his prime. Not a lot older, but it, it, it he is a little bit older. Um, it, the other thing is, you know, Larry has DJ Reader to play off of, and and a mm-hmm. lot of times Gino didn't have that. It was Gino, and then whoever they had next to him, and yeah, they have quality ends, but they never I, – I, I don't know that they've ever had that this good of tackles side-by-side side on the interior of that D-line. And it's it's like DJ Reader said yesterday, it's it's they all watch each other, hun. It, they're not all going to get to the quarterback on the same play, but one of them is, and they're all happy to see it. And, I mean, six defensive linemen already have sacks, and we're only four games into the season. They only had 17 sacks all of last year. They've already got 11 – and six different guys on that D line plus Logan Wilson have one. It's been it's been really spread out and been really effective and efficient what they're doing defensively. I also think it was interesting that DJ Reader told us that everybody is on the scoreboard now. The yeah. board, as they <laughs> called it, there is and, a scoreboard, <laughs> and there is a scoreboard uh, certainly in that uh, defensive lineman room, and that matters because now everybody feels they have at least one. Uh, you know, one sack and something on the scoreboard to index how well they've contributed to the defensive front in general. And nobody is worried about, oh, you know, everybody's got theirs, but I've yet to get on the scoreboard. And I I thought that that was interesting because it's a tell that, you know, now that everybody has something in the bank, so to speak, they can just go about, you know, helping one another out, which is what, you know, his point was. You know, the funny thing is you, 
you you get so caught up in how well they're playing, you almost forget about what could have been if Joseph Osai had not gone down I, in that preseason absolutely. game against Tampa Bay. I mean, imagine what this D line would be. Um, maybe maybe they wouldn't all have a sack at this point because that so, guy probably would have had a lot of them. Not to interrupt you, Jay, yeah. but in the first half last week against Jacksonville, I did tweet out. I said, oh, yeah. it's games like these that make you wonder how much they miss Joseph Osai because uh, they were having trouble getting, uh, obviously, to Trevor Lawrence. And mm-hmm. he was running outside the pocket. He was giving him a little bit of trouble, actually a significant amount of trouble as they built up their 14 nothing lead. And, you know, you were wondering, does a mobile quarterback really kind of highlight, you know, the loss of Joseph Osai? But uh, it's interesting that the Bengals were able to make the in-game adjustment. And I'll, I'll tell you this, their ability to come back in both the Chicago game that they lost when they were uh, down early and the game against Jacksonville that they came back and won, the defense allowed a, a touchdown on the you know, second in the Jacksonville game, it was the second possession, but in the uh, Chicago game, it was the first possession point is I thought they made great adjustments defensively as the game went on. And I think that's a great sign going forward. Yeah. And people forget how tough it is. I mean, Zach was one 17 and one when trailing at halftime before that game trailing by 14. I mean, you see it in college teams get off to a slow start and they, they hit the gear. It's different in the NFL. I mean, coming back from 14 points down, I, I had the stat. I'm, I'm trying to go off the top of my head, but I want to say NFL teams were four and 100 in their last 104 games in which they trailed by 14 at any point. Um, so it was, it was impressive that they I, were I'm able- shocked by that number. And, and I'll tell you yeah. why in this day and age of offensive football, I would assume that more than four times out of 104 that it that a team came from behind. I mean, you've got a league that has Green Bay, it has Kansas mm-hmm. City, it had the high-powered Cleveland Browns last year that were able to come back uh, many times. I'm surprised by that number very much. The, the 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 caveat with that is at any time. So it, it was not a it did not stretch back very far to find because teams. It could be a seven-point game the whole way, and then the team scores to go up 14 with a minute left, and that's they led by 14. So, of course, no one's going to come back on that one. But you're right. It it did surprise me. I didn't think it was going to be that bad. Um, And it it just, you know, Zach took a lot of heat last year. I asked him about it in the press conference. They couldn't score in the third quarter. Eight of the last nine games last year, they they didn't score a point in the third quarter. And everybody's saying halftime adjustments, halftime adjustments. It's like – they don't really have that much time at halftime to come up with adjustments. It's it's on the fly adjustments as the game goes along. Right. Halftime is just this like data point along the the scheme, and they they get a little time to rest and come up with stuff. But it's not like they're in there scheming up new designs. It's it's that you just try something that you've already worked on earlier in the week. And I, I think that he does deserve credit for that because it it is very hard to do. And yes, they weren't playing world beaters. But it's still the NFL. You you come back on a team and you're down 14. You come back and blow, really kind of blow them away, even though it was a, a game-winning field goal at the gun. They owned that second half. 
no question they converted every single third down mm -hmm. offensively and that was a big uh key to the victory speaking with jay morrison covering the cincinnati bengals for the athletic please do follow him on twitter at j morrison ath all one word no underscores nothing like that so okay i want to continue to talk about the defense but the back end they need Chidobi Awuzie to return from his groin injury this week. If Awuzie is back to full strength, Jay, and you team him with Trey Waynes, and then you have Mike Hilton, the slot corner, and then you throw in Von Bell, and if Jesse Bates comes back from his neck injury, I really like the way that defense shapes up on the back end. Yeah, I do too. Um, I, I do think we are going to see Awuzie. I think he could have played last week had it not been for a Thursday game. And it was smart to hold him and, out. Yes, absolutely it was. And, and part of that was playing a winless team in Jacksonville, but I'm really interested. I I've not done this yet, but I want to go and look and see what kind of the history is between Devonte Adams and Trey Waynes. Cause I imagine they've been matched up quite a few times and it would be, it'll, it's going to be interesting to see who won those battles and, you know, will Trey Waynes travel with Devonte Adams, how they're, right. how they're actually going to attack this, this green Bay defense. But I do, I think they match up really well. Um, especially it's, it's hard to get to Aaron Rodgers, but it's not unheard of. And I know I brought this up on our podcast and it's really, I don't know how relevant it is because we're talking about even the most recent game that Aaron Rodgers played against the Bengals. None of these guys were here, but the Bengals have sacked him in their three games against Aaron Rodgers, six times, six times, and four times. He's only been sacked six times, eight times in his career. The Bengals have done it twice. It's just, it, there's, there's, and they've won two of those three games. He, he has this second worst winning percentage against any team against the Bengals at 333. If you can get to him, if you can put the pressure on him, you can really kind of change the dynamic of that offense. And I, we've seen them. They were worst in the league last year in pressures and sacks. That's totally flipped. If that, if they get that going again, that, that just makes so much, that makes everything easier for those guys on the back end. And it's not like you've got stiffs back there, you know, woozy a talk Trey Wayne's, Eli Apple even played pretty well this, this last game against Jacksonville um, and, and Jesse Bates to put him in coverage. Mike Hilton, one of the best slots. It's it. it I, I think a lot of people think this is going to be a shootout and I don't, I think it's, it's going to be kind of what we've seen so far, these games in the, in the twenties and maybe last team with the ball wins the game. If you're talking Aaron Rodgers and Joe Burrow. So to me, and I, and I was reminded of this watching Tom Brady go against the Patriots on Sunday night, the best way to get to a veteran quarterback Obviously, you have to pre-snap disguise, right? I mean, I mm. think that goes without saying. And Lou Anarumo deserves so much credit for how he has transformed not only this defense, but, but, but his approach, his style. Yes, he has better weapons. Yes, he has more talent and whatnot and more versatile uh, versatility uh, in his defensive unit. But he's been able to make the adjustments in the game that, um, that I mentioned earlier. But the thing that I noticed Sunday night was... Um, delaying your blitz packages you don't blitz right off the snap you 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 wait a snap or you you wait a uh, second or two maybe even three and then you hit a gap because that's when they're not as likely to see the blitzer or their free man yeah. coming loose and he can get straight to that hot read and that that does that changes a lot and that's i don't know that they'll do that with mike hilton but you you saw in that pittsburgh game they did that where they dropped 
Sam Hubbard back to a middle linebacker spot. And then he came on kind of a delayed blitz. And I can't remember now if it was, he, he got to Ben. I don't remember if it was a sack or if it's the one he hit him and Logan Wilson intercepted it, but it was a huge play. And it was like, wow, we haven't really seen that. We've seen Sam drop in coverage. We've seen Trey Hendrickson drop in coverage, but drop to a middle linebacker spot. And then on a delayed blitz, it was, that's what you have to do. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a veteran quarterback. Ben has seen it all. And they got to him. They fooled him on that. And that's, I think they can do more of that against Aaron. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a fascinating matchup. Uh, I think everybody remembers the last time Aaron Rodgers was uh, in <laughs> Cincinnati. It was uh, all Green Bay for, what, three quarters? And then, of course, the comeback from 30 to 14 down to 34 um, 30 victory for the Bengals in, in what arguably was one of Andy Dalton's greatest games along with the comeback against Seattle. Would you agree with that, those two games? Yeah, it was actually, um, if I remember right, that game, the Bengals jumped out 14 nothing in that game, and they then did. Green Bay scored 30 unanswered, and and then, or maybe it wasn't that many, but they Green Bay had that game in hand. Completely. And, and then the, the fumble going for it on fourth down, and the ball pops into Terrence Newman's hands, and he takes it 60-some yards for the touchdown. It was a crazy game, and it was that was a season, you know, you saw the clip in the Sunday night game, or not in the Sunday afternoon game, when uh, – Aaron Rodgers, like Tomlin called the timeout because he knew Aaron Rodgers was going to get him, and they kind of yes. exchanged smirks. And Mike Zimmer talked in that game about how Aaron Rodgers did that to him. He kind of like mo- looked over at him and gave him the head nod, like an appreciative, yeah, you got me there kind of thing. And then that was week three, and I believe it was two or three weeks later, um, they snapped Tom Brady's uh, consecutive games with a touchdown pass streak. Uh, so that, those were – those were fun defenses to watch. Everybody talks about Andy and and AJ and those offenses, but those those defenses under Mike Zimmer were a lot of fun. And it's it's they're not they're nowhere near getting back to that yet, but they're they're moving in the right direction. All right, we're talking with Jay Morrison of the Athletic, doing a great job covering the Cincinnati Bengals since 2012. Follow him on Twitter at Jay Morrison A T H, all one word. Let's talk about the offense and Joe Burrow. Of all the things that has, have been said about uh, number nine, I think the most uh, impressive trait that you can point to in the second-year quarterback is his leadership and his ability to see things on the field and be his own offensive coordinator at the line of scrimmage. And, yes, the play to um, C.J. Uzama uh, on, the third, on the second down and long hot read uh, really, to me, uh, totally highlights his ability to really have the game under control in a pressure situation. Yeah. I mean, he's got a photographic memory and he can, he sees things that, you know, maybe another quarterback, it would be the year three, year four that they they're like, okay, I've seen this a few times. I know what's coming here. And he sees it once and he goes right back to it. He did that. There was, I can't remember the specifics, but there was a, a game where the, the Browns kind of got him in week two last year, and then they come to Cincinnati in week seven, and he sees the the corner drift that way, and he just gives a nod to the receiver, and, and you know they, they beat the Browns because he remembered that, that slight little lean. Of, he knew what was coming, and they beat him. And the, the coaches, Paul Daner did a story last year where he asked all the coaches what their favorite plays were from Joe Burrow were through the half, first half of the season. And they all brought that one up because it's just remarkable the way, the way that he can do that. And it's, there is, there's so much to like about him, but I mean, if, if you talk about that, that memory, that, that 
to like you said to be your own offensive coordinator that's and very yeah. difficult to do we we talk about it from a layperson's perspective to but to be on the field with the speed of the game and the rush mm-hmm. um and just to, to see what w- you go back and watch that play to Uzama and everybody w- looks at the end result and the catch he made and how look at the face of the hands in the face of Joe Burrow there were at least four hands in his face as he was making that pass and yeah and you know you're gonna get hit and we've seen him do that I think one of his touchdown passes earlier this year I think it was in that Minnesota game he stood in there and got the got the pass off he knows he's gonna get hit he has that toughness about him he gets to that play knowing that that he's going to take a shot, but he's, he's, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to make the throw. I'm going to make you pay. You're going to make me hurt. I'm going to make you pay. And he's just got that, that moxie about him. And there, that's no surprise. Everybody saw it at LSU. Yeah. It's one of the, one of the things they loved about him in the draft, but then you see it up close and personal and you see all these little details that make it up. And it's, it's been a treat to watch. It really has. And uh, that pass that you mentioned T Higgins in the Minnesota game, the first touchdown mm-hmm. of the game, I believe. Yeah, he literally landed uh, horizontal on the ground and they crushed him right into the turf and he got right back up. And to me, you know, that's what you look for. When a guy gets hit like that, does he bounce right back up and he does he join in the celebration? He did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what I think, you know, that's the toughness that Joe Burrow has shown from day one with the Bengals. And there's a lot to look forward to Um, in terms of the play calling for the Bengals. How do you think? The Brian Callahan, Zach Taylor, how do I put this? They're working together. Their chemistry, their offensive chemistry is working so far this season. I think the chemistry is good. I think they're still trying to feel things out, um, taking a cautious approach that having a good defense kind of lends that lends to that where they they don't feel like they have to go out and just outscore the opponent all the time. Um I we talked about the adjustments they've made in games. I, I think they are still a little reticent to do it offensively a whole lot. They, they, they go into a game with a game plan and it's, you know, we, we see patterns e- emerging that, you know, they, they run the ball on second long more than anyone. And I know that drives everybody yes. crazy um, <laughs> and, and they just stick to it. And I, I did, at the senior bowl uh, two years ago, I did a really interesting story. They, they have this routine where on Saturday nights they get together. If they're on the road, they go to one of their hotel rooms. If they're at home, they go to one of their houses and they'll grab a game book from a recent NFL game that they think is going to play out like their game is going to play out on Sunday. And they, they just go through the game book and they're like, okay, it's third and one on our 40. What would we call here? So they look at the down and distance through an entire NFL game that they think is going to play out like theirs. And then they, it's like fantasy football for coaches. They, they go through the play calls that they, that they would do in each of those situations. It was really interesting to, to hear how they do that. Here's why I think they're doing the second, the runs on second and long. I think it's completely uh, tied into trying to manage the clock and run some mm-hmm. clock so that they don't go three passes and out. It's there, you know, it's really, it assures that of not happening. Like, you know, if you run on second down, you know, you're going to take at least the possession is going to be at least two to three minutes. 
And I think that's what they're looking for. They don't want their defense overexposed. They want to keep them fresh. They want to, you know, we heard it time and time again uh, in the in training camp that uh, from Zach Taylor that we've got to play complimentary football. And I think running the ball on second down uh, has been a way, at least early in the season, to try and achieve that goal. I, you're right. That's a great point because I, I think a lot of people look at it as, oh, they're just trying to make it third manageable, but that's not always the case. And it's it's that old adage of take what the defense gives you. You're going to see a light box a lot on second and long. So yeah, you're you're probably not going to run for the first down there, but you are going to run the clock, at least add another 40 seconds to the possession. And you it's not like you have slappies in there at running back. You've got Joe Mixon and maybe he can break off a first down. If not, you're you're still counting on him for four, five, and it's that that's a really good point, the clock aspect of it, because they have been managing the games those way. They're they're you they're they have to be among last in the league and plays run because of the way that Pittsburgh game worked out where the defense was on the field for so many plays, just check down after check down and the Jacksonville game, even they didn't run or run a lot of plays, but when they need to, they can, they can bleed that clock. We saw that five thirty three that they bled off the final drive of the game. I thought that was their best drive of the season. Yeah, it really was. And it was ironic because it was a great job by Joe Mixon on second down to get down in bounds and keep that clock running. And I think that's what led to the injury was him kind of going down awkward. That was the play he got hurt on. Um, Twisting his ankle. Yes. Um, So that, but that was, that was a terrific drive because you're like, well, even if you go down and score, how much time are they going to leave for Trevor Lawrence? And to leave zero was really impressive. You don't see too many five minute and 33 drives there, game winning drives. You know what drove me nuts? I'm just going to go on a rant because I went on a (laughs) rant Sunday night and Monday morning with my uh, Patriots uh, colleagues, uh, my former colleagues, but I obviously still stay in touch. Evan Lazar and and, uh, with our uh, company CLNS Media, he covers the Patriots, but a few others, the broadcasters in New England. I thought the end of that game was horrifically managed, both by, and ironic, both by Brady and Belichick. Brady, because those two passes to Antonio Brown, as much as Bengal fans want to see the Bengals pass the ball on second down in that situation, when you're running down the clock, end of the game on the road, the last thing you want is two incompletions Mm. and they wound up settling for uh, a Ryan suck up 48 yard field goal that narrowly uh, edged through the uh, the uprights and gave Tampa Bay the eventual game-winning field goal. But that was not a high-percentage field goal in the driving rain right. at Gillette Stadium. And you left, what, a minute? I uh, forget what it was, a minute and a half, something in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So what do the Patriots do? They march right down the field. I'm like, this is going to burn Brady right in the ass. And what do the Patriots do on fourth and three? And I know some of the analytics pointed to the fact that a Belichick should have gone for it, but I was screaming at the TV. Why are you not going for it there and settling for a 56 yard Nick Folk field goal? I get it. He hit one against the jets on Monday night last year at MetLife stadium, won the game and um, hit, had the distance on this one, but he hit the left upright. Uh, but I'm thinking, why and that left uh, even if he makes it jay that leaves them with 50 seconds 55 seconds for brady to drive down the field and get a field goal and win the game that's my rant 
That's well, I agree because that's those those fourth down bots will tell you that he should have the Patriots should have gone for it on that that short fourth down anyhow, and that doesn't even take into the account of who the quarterback is on the other sideline. There's no doubt in my mind if he makes that field goal, Brady goes down and gets another field goal. The Brady deep shot to Antonio Brown, I thought they were going to go for it on fourth down instead of, and that's why he's like, we're going to take our deep shot here on third down and then we're going to go for it on fourth down. I was really surprised to see them send suck up out for the field goal, but you're right. It was like, does any team want to win this game? It's like these, you've got Belichick and Brady who take no prisoners. And now all of a sudden this is tentative against tentative. Yeah. It just, it it struck me as, as very curious. Uh, One other key to the game before we let you go, Jay Morrison of the athletic, the Bengals have to do a better job getting off, and I know you wrote about this, and and one of your commenters pointed to this in your story uh, today on The Athletic. Um, Bengals have to do a better job getting off the field on third down. I looked this up, and I couldn't believe it, Jay. Um, the Bengals are 20th in the NFL, which is not very good. 43.55% they're allowing conversions on third down. That is the one area that has not changed yet. They They've... There's been a big struggle year after year after it, pre- it predates Lou, it predates Zach, Marvin's, you know, last couple, ever, ever since the that playoff run in 2015, it, it's what got Terrell Austin fired. I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is there because it's it's not like. That's these a are all, stat too. I, it that's is. a random stat. And it's not like they're third and twos, third and threes. They give up a lot of third and longs. And, and those are really killers when you should get off. You can almost kind of tip your hat to the other team if they convert on third and four. You, you let them convert on third and 10, third and 12. You got to be kicking yourself. And it's, it's okay now. Not, I don't want to say it's okay now, but you can overcome it now because it's early in the season and these guys have their legs and they have their win. But as this season gets longer, you can't just keep leaving the defense or the defense can't just stay out there. They're, nobody's leaving them out there. They're doing, their, doing it to themselves by not getting off the field, but they can't continue to do that. You've, you've got to get off the field, number one, to, to save yourself and prevent the other team from scoring. And number two, you want the ball in Joe Burrow's hands as much as possible. Um, that's I don't know what Aaron Rodgers percentages on third down or what green Bay's is i'm betting it's really good and that could be these key stat on sunday is is can they finally have a game where they can get off the field on a regular basis hold hold green bay to 30 35 that might be all it takes that is jay morrison uh read his story on the athletic today tuesday october 5th bengals defense preps for the biggest test yet against aaron Rodgers and the packers it's as always a great piece of uh, work from one jay morrison jay thanks so much for joining us thanks for having me i enjoyed it all right uh want to thank everybody for listening and downloading this episode of the jungle roar podcast you can download everywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts like apple stitcher and spotify also want to thank our great guest Jay Morrison. Follow him on Twitter at Jay Morrison ATH. For Jay Morrison, I'm Mike Petralia, and this has been the Jungle Roar Podcast.